The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. Where we're live streaming this Monday night guided meditation from. And I have been a monk for 24 years, fully ordained monk for 24 years. I was ordained by Arjun Brahm. And for four, almost 14 years, I was based in Sri Lanka, um, living for eight years in a cave. So that was a wonderful experience. And I'd just like to introduce the format. It's the usual format that we have. There'll be an introduction to the meditation, then a guided meditation. Uh, and then we'll have, uh, it says a bell here, and then a Q&A. And for the Q&A, if you'd like to make comments or you'd like to ask questions, or as I say, if you'd like to complain, <laughs> you can write those in the YouTube live chat. So this is uh, the format for the evening. So we have, and usually it runs from our time for an hour and a half. So that's roughly from 7.30 in Victoria, in Australia, to nine o'clock at night. All right. So I'd like to introduce the theme for this evening. And the theme for this evening for the guided meditation is one of my favourites. <laughs> They're all my favourites at different times. We need different things at different times. And the theme is, of course, it's like a mantra, nothing to do, nothing to do. And this will be the theme for the guided meditation. And I like to, to uh, 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 say that uh, nothing to do is very different from doing nothing because when we are doing nothing, we're still doing. <laughs> and this is one of our major things of doing. This is what our lives focus on to a very large extent. And of course, that doing feeds the sense of who we are and gives us a, a feeling of this is me, I'm the doer. And uh, so this evening we'll be looking for finding triggers that give rise to this perception and feeling of nothing to do. The feeling is very important in meditation, not just a thought. The thought will be uh, nothing to do, but we're aiming at bringing up the perception and the feeling of nothing to do. And I have some images that I'll suggest during the meditation too, but it's up to you really. One of them I find very useful is visualising, powering off the phone or any other device for that matter. So when we power it off, it's like there's nothing to do. And also for me, you know, I find waiting rooms or being in a queue is, is a time when this feeling of nothing to do comes up. And of course, Sajan Brahm, he has a very, a very good uh, uh, suggestion for this. And this is when we're out uh, either walking or driving and we see stop signs. <laughs> we see the stop lights, the red lights, or we see stop signs. It just reminds us to stop. This is one of the things that we um, don't do very often. So the whole purpose of this evening really is for doing, having training ourselves, programming our minds to develop this habit to stop. And uh, when we stop, this triggers letting go or letting be. 
and we can just be. And this is the aim of the meditation this evening, to get to that, just letting be, just being uh, with the present moment. And of course, the situation is pretty obvious to everyone. <laughs> We're all addicted to doing, aren't we? When we finish one thing, we think, what's next? And then what's next? And of course, the, to me, the epitome, isn't it, of, uh, of this is the tyranny of the to-do list. Uh, it's actually quite helpful to do lists, but it's actually, for, for many people, it's like a tyranny because we've got to do these things and running our lives. Um, and so we try, this evening we're, we're, there's nothing to do. We're not trying to do nothing. And of course, we, the, we see our doing is throughout the whole of our lives, isn't it? It's work, whether it be, you know, paid work, unpaid work at home, housework, looking after the family, cooking, gardening, all those things. Often we are, whether it is paid work or unpaid, workaholics. <laughs> and we, we, we enjoy it. Usually people, to a certain extent, enjoy it, but often it becomes such an addiction uh, and uh, maybe, in some cases, an escape from problems. But uh, doing this doing is not always uh, limited to work. It's, it fulfills our whole life, actually. Often it's... It's just a way of filling in time, isn't it? We often, we, we really, one of the big fears for us is uh, boredom. People try to fill the day as much as possible, every moment, waking moment. And um, so one of the big areas, of course, is um, our the things that we entertain ourselves with. And I'd like to you know, make the comment that it's not that entertainments are bad per se or anything like that. We shouldn't be entertaining ourselves. It all depends on what effect it's having on our minds. Is it bringing, is it leading to positive states of mind or not? And so we, we, we look at whatever we do, really, whether it's entertainment, whether it's work, all of our doing, really, to see how is it affecting the mind. And of course, you see, doing so obviously in terms of our hobbies and interests, we can spend hours, can't we, absorbed in them. And there's socialising, shopping, what do they call it, retail therapy. <laughs> we can do, uh, and of course, uh, doing in terms of entertainment, there's so many. And I think one of the one of the things that I've heard very popular these days are these trivia quizzes, and that's probably the epitome of this focus on doing, we've got to, you know, um, fill in our time, we've got to absorb into something. And so trivia quizzes are very popular. And there's television, reading news, there's videos. And I think anybody that's uh, looked at YouTube, you realise how many hours can just disappear looking at, at these videos, some quite, quite uh, without much uh, benefit to us. And listening to music, reading books, Eating is a good one, isn't it? A big one, and exercising the body, and so it does bring up the the question. You know, is this really trying to distract ourselves? And uh, you know, if that is the case, you know, we're we just filling in time to avoid something. What is it we're trying to avoid? And of course, uh, the answer to that is very very obvious. That we're distracting ourselves 
or trying to avoid our problems to a large extent. And uh, of course, we're looking for happiness too. That's that's uh, that's the other aspect of it. And I know I came as she used to the famous uh, German nun who passed away uh, in 1997. She said that one of our favourite escape routes from problems, from the unsatisfactoriness of life, the imperfections of life, the favourite escape route is distraction. <laughs> Desperately looking for happiness outside ourselves. And of course, we it's very obvious in a Buddhist context, isn't it, that we're distracting ourselves from old age sickness and death. And um, I, I often, I have reflected in the past on, on seeing old people in uh, old people in an aged care home, you know, playing bingo. <laughs> I think, wow, are they distracting themselves from, you know, facing the uh, the difficulties of their life, uh, you know, sickness and eventually death, old age and death. And of course, we're distracting ourselves from being with ourselves. Isn't that the case so often? We, we are so uncomfortable with ourselves often and we try to fill this void inside with doing, with activity. We don't know who or what we are. And so this uh, doing is, is, a, is, a, is, a very, is one of the activities we take refuge in. I was talking about refuge yesterday. And of course, we, this is so true, isn't it, in these days of COVID, and especially during the lockdowns here in Victoria or anywhere really, they made us painfully aware that many people have experienced uh, the difficulty of just being with themselves, especially if they're living on their own. And of course, the resulting mental health problems. And it reminds me, uh, and I love this quote. I think it's a wonderful quote from uh, Blaise Pascal, the French uh, philosopher, who said, all of humanity's problems stem from uh, humanity's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Isn't that interesting? And the amazing thing with that quote is that it was written in 1654. <laughs> yes, before smartphones, before the internet, before all the you know activity that we have in modern life. And according to Pascal, what we fear is the silence of existence. And he said we dread boredom and instead choose aimless distraction. And uh, we can't help but run from our problems of our emotions into the into uh, into these distractions and uh, quite interestingly there is a what uh, what goes with this article and I've, I've seen an article about this was uh, an experiment in america with some university students and they were asked for to sit quietly in a room had a chair uh, for 10 to 15 minutes and um, they were—they didn't have any of their devices, smartphones, or iPods, or iPads, all that sort of thing, or books or anything. And they were just to sit there quietly and, uh, you know, to think or just to enjoy that uh, ten or fifteen minutes. But the researchers pointed out on the wall there's a button, and if you press this button, it will administer an electric shock. And so they said. 
at any time during your uh, this session, you're welcome to press that button if you wish to administer an electric shock to yourself. And they actually gave each of their, uh, the students a chance to feel what it was like. And they said, and they asked, uh, is this unpleasant? And they said, would you pay to avoid it? And they all said, yes. And so this group um, of uh, university students sat there for the 10 to 15 minutes and uh, they were astounded, the researchers were astounded by the results that 70% of the men and 25% of the women voluntarily administered shocks to themselves, electric shocks. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> Would we do it? Quite possibly. And then they checked up with um, uh, groups, older people who weren't exposed to uh, the internet and technology to see if it was similar for them. And they found they didn't have the electric shocks because they were doing it at home. It was self-administered and self-run. And um, they found exactly the same uh, results that uh, most of them found it terribly difficult and uh, that they were uncomfortable. You can say with themselves or with their thoughts. And so this is obviously a very, uh, uh, it points to this, this difficulty of ours to just be with ourselves, be with what we're experiencing in the present moment. But it also, uh, it, it reminds me that we have to avoid in meditation. Uh, uh, we, we often want to do the meditation, isn't it? That's the case. Um, and, and we, many people, myself, when I was younger monk, a younger meditator before I became a monk, very uh, uh, technique oriented. And we have the Goenka technique and we, we have the Mahasi technique and many other techniques too. Um, and and uh, so, you know, when, you, when I first came to meditation, I was focusing on techniques. And then um, I, I remember I came across a book by uh, Sri Rajneesh, a book called The Book of the Secrets. And it had 500 meditation techniques. And I thought, wow, this is it. But I found it wasn't. <laughs> and of course, as, I, as my meditation practices developed, I realized that our main job as meditators is to create causes for positive uh, states of mind that overcome the negative ones, the hindrances that block our meditation. And it's not that we're doing the meditation, but we're creating, as it were, the causes for these positive states to reduce the negative ones so that the meditation can really happen. So this, the technique approach is very much the how to do. And as I say, this is um, often coming from a sense of desire, wanting to get something, wanting to control. And of course, it's opposite direction to the whole path, which is really letting go. Nekama, they call it in Pali. And uh, often with this sort of, uh, these uh, desires, we want to tick off our, our bucket list, as they call it these days. We want jhana, we want insights, we want path and fruits, we want enlightenment, <laughs> all these things. So all this wanting, of course, we realize is actually going in the opposite direction to developing deep meditation. And of course, often it leads to this, thing, it leads to this uh, question that I get very often with meditators when I have interviews, 
and they say, well, I've got to this stage, but what's next? And it's so obvious, and, uh, you know, I often point it out to them that it means we're not satisfied, not happy with where we're at at the moment. So immediately a hindrance is what running. And uh, I was very impressed, uh, Ajahn Brahm often mentions this, that a famous uh, Thai teacher, Ajahn Gunha, you may have heard of him, um, when asked how he meditates, he said, I do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's quite uh, quite amazing, isn't it? And uh, it re it reminds me of there's a book I haven't read it, but by Sylvia Burstein, Burstein, uh, who's a meditation teacher in the U.S. It's called "Don't Just Do Something, Sit There." Now that's obviously quite difficult for us, but it's a. Uh, uh, we tend to, yes, we tend to try and do nothing, don't we, rather than allow it to happen. It's very hard for us just to, uh, to, uh, to be there, to be. And we try to, to do everything in our lives, such a strong habit. And uh, it reminds me that when, uh, when I see the villages, some of the villages in Sri Lanka from my time in Sri Lanka, they could sit for hours on the veranda just gazing out at the road, uh, watching the world go by. And uh, they and they just seemed to be, you know, they weren't doing anything. They're just sitting there. And, you know, it's quite amazing and something that uh, really um, I noticed because I felt, you know, this is difficult for me. <laughs> so how do they do it? They managed to turn off and just to be. So, so we can... Uh, ask ourselves, why is it so difficult to do nothing? And uh, some of the things that can help us actually turn the mind to this uh, letting go, um, to this not uh, nothing to do state of mind, is to see the disadvantages of doing. Once we see the disadvantages in anything, it actually can turn our mind in a different direction see that it's driven by desire, that's often frustrated and disappointed because we don't get what we want from the doing, and it promotes restlessness and distraction. And, um, and also we can get bored, can't we, um, when nothing satisfies us. So, and, uh, and in the process, of course, all this uh, doing tires the mind. And uh, so I'd ask you, does this sound familiar, these, uh, these qualities? Yes, sounds familiar to me. Five hindrances <laughs> that we have uh, that make the meditation difficult. But seeing the disadvantages is really helpful for turning the mind towards um, looking for a way that takes a, takes the body and mind to rest. Stopping um, by contemplating this, um, and when. We think nothing to do. It can trigger a feeling of relaxation in our bodies and minds and a pleasant feeling of being happy or content that there is nothing to do rather than our familiar sense of unease or anxiety. We feel, well, surely there's something I have to do. It's just unease that we often get. And so if once we get this feeling, then that can trigger this letting go let things be and let go but some some people may find when they they uh, have this thought nothing to do 
that this is unpleasant. It might be frightening or, or boring. But I think this is, if that reaction comes up for anyone, just to um, to look at it, not to be judgmental about it, just to, to ask for ourselves, ask ourselves, why is this? And uh, of course, usually it's because it challenges who we think we are, the doers. And of course, we can think of the benefits uh, that this meditation, nothing to do, can bring to our lives. Because everybody is very busy. And so it's important for us to find triggers uh, that uh, bring up perceptions and feelings that give rise to letting go. And this, this the thought of nothing to do, this theme, this mantra can have that effect. And it creates in our day little oases or resting places amidst the busyness. And uh, I always remember when I came to the monastery first, uh, when I first came to the monastery, that's Ajahn Brahm's monastery in Western Australia, I thought, well, I won't be very busy here. And of course, actually, when you go to a monastery, especially uh, as an anagarika, like a trainee, there is a lot to do, really. But after a time, I realized that the busyness that I was, I was still busy. And uh, I realized that the busyness was in me. It was my mind. And uh, it was a habit or a program that I reinforced by, 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 by repetition. So, uh, and no doubt for reinforcing that sense of self. So, this, uh, and also it's uh, because with uh, uh, this mantra of, uh, of uh, nothing to do can also be a good antidote to stress because stress we usually have this feeling of there's too much to do not enough time I can't do this um, and when that happens I make a list and uh, of just exactly what I have to do and then I realize well it's not that much actually but when the mantra is running oh it's too much it's too much I haven't got enough time then uh, it seems overwhelming so and of course, in our lives, our daily lives, there are lots of moments, you know, when we're on buses, when we're on trains, waiting for a doctor or a dentist, when there's nothing to do. We can just be with ourselves in the present moment. If we remember that, that's the importance of sati, to remember this, nothing to do now. And uh, so I sometimes I use this in my meditation, skillful means really, visualising I'm in a waiting room and bringing up that uh, sense of nothing to do. Um, and this can trigger the feeling of letting go when I get this feeling of nothing to do. And uh, of course, we can also uh, intensify that feeling of nothing to do, just if, if we feel we need to, by reflecting on what we're free from. We don't have to go to work. We don't have to shop. We don't have to clean, cook, chores, all those things at this time, this, at this time of the meditation or the, the period, the short period we have. So there's nothing to do. But good not to be too specific, otherwise we can get caught up in um, uh, thinking about that. And another very useful mantra that can be used in meditation I remember, uh, I think it's Ajahn Jagaro, one of my early teachers, used to teach it. I think Ajahn Brahm does too, actually. And uh, the mantra is, not my business. 
now, <laughs> at this moment, not my business. So that's quite a useful mantra to have. And uh, so I like to finish, that's the introduction. And now we can have a meditation together for roughly um, 45 minutes. And uh, the first section will be guided. And then towards the end, it will be guided again. So if you'd like to find a comfortable posture, if you haven't already got a comfortable posture, and then we can come into the present. Let go of the past, leave the past and future behind. The past is history and the future is a mystery I've heard. So nothing we need to do now, nowhere we need to be. And we deserve a rest, a break, time for ourselves. And we can close the eyes and just adjust the body to make it comfortable, to see that it's balanced. In the back, reasonably straight but relaxed and making any adjustments we need for the, to make the body comfortable. And now we can mentally relax the body from the top of the head to the tips of the toes, starting with the top of the head, back of the head, sides of the head, relaxing and soothing the head. And moving the attention to the forehead and soothing that, giving it a warm, kind attention. Allowing those creases, wrinkles to relax. Moving our attention to the eyes, all around the eyes, and giving them this warm, kind attention, relaxing, soothing. And moving down to the cheeks and around the mouth and chin, giving it this warm, kind, relaxing mental mass massage. Moving the attention down to the neck, all around the neck, relaxing it, soothing it. And bringing to mind the right shoulder, starting at the neck moving our attention along the right shoulder, 
giving it a mental massage, letting the burdens, the tensions of the day dissolve. Now bringing to mind the right arm and slowly moving the attention down the right arm to include the elbow, the wrist, hand and fingers. Now bringing to mind the left shoulder and moving our attention slowly across the left shoulder, along the left shoulder, relaxing, soothing, letting go of the tensions and burdens of the day. Now bringing to mind the left arm, starting at the top of the left arm and moving our attention down the left arm slowly to include the elbow, wrist, hand and fingers, giving them a good mental massage. And now we can bring to mind the back, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention slowly down the back, giving it this warm, kind, soothing attention. Now bringing to mind the front of the body, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention slowly down the chest, 
the diaphragm, stomach and abdomen, giving them this good mental massage, this warmth and kindness to any painful or tense or hard spots. And now we bring to mind the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving our attention down the right leg to include the knee, ankle, foot and toes, giving them this mental massage. Now bringing to mind the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and moving our attention slowly down the left leg, all around to include the knee, ankle, foot and toes. Giving them, soothing them, relaxing them. And now we can bring to mind the whole body just sitting here in the present moment. Just feeling how it is, the whole body just sitting here. 
just being. And we can bring up the intention to let things be or let things go, just to, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, just to be. And we can bring to mind that phrase, nothing to do. And we can use an image if we wish, or in our minds, visualize, turning off our phones or other devices, disconnecting, time out. Or perhaps being in a waiting room, if that works for you, whatever brings up that feeling of nothing to do. And we can get in touch with the feeling of nothing to do. How does that feel? And we can be aware of the present moment, however it is, but no need to rearrange it or improve it. There's nothing to do. allowing it to be just as it is, like people coming into a room and just going out. And if our minds drift off, just to remember, nothing to do, and we come back to the present moment, nothing to do. We don't have to rearrange it, interfere with it, improve on it. Absolutely nothing to do. Or if the mind wanders off, we can remember that image of turning off the phone or device or being in the waiting room and just get in touch with that feeling of nothing to do. Here in the present moment, experiencing each moment as it is, with the sense of nothing, the feeling of nothing to do.
And if we get lost in thinking, we can just remember, oh, nothing to do, not even thinking. And come back to the present moment, however you're experiencing it, whether the heat, the coolness, uh, the uh, contact with a cushion or whatever you're sitting on, sounds, whatever we experience.
And now, as we're coming towards the end of the meditation, we can come back to ourselves, come back to the feeling of nothing to do. Maybe it's a feeling of lightness for you, of freedom, of ease, space, or even joy. You'll get this feeling of nothing to do. And we can share this feeling, we can expand this feeling of nothing to do to everyone listening to this. May they have this lightness, this space, this freedom, this feeling of nothing to do. And we can give a gift or share this feeling of nothing to do with all those that we're close to, all those people, all those beings we're close to in our lives. This feeling of nothing to do, of space, freedom, ease. and expanding this feeling of nothing to do to all beings around wherever we are now, to all those beings, human beings, animals, insects, unseen beings, to all beings, just spreading this, sharing this, giving this gift of the feeling of nothing to do. and expanding that feeling of nothing to do in ever-widening circles to all beings further and further afield covering the whole world and all realms of existence. sharing this feeling of ease, relaxation, openness, freedom, of lightness.
and we can make an aspiration to remember when it's the appropriate time the feeling of nothing to do in order to do nothing in those moments when we are waiting on a bus or train wherever we are abiding in this feeling of nothing to do and we can review the meditation just to ask ourselves how do we do i feel now and did a feeling arise when i thought nothing to do what sort of feeling and was i able to let go and just let things be And what else did I learn from my experience of this meditation? And now I'll ring the bell three times. And if you wish to come out of meditation, please do. If you don't, please continue with this meditation. Nothing to do. So please, if you wish, to slowly open the eyes and to move the body to make yourselves more comfortable. So I hope um, people were able to get uh, a taste of that feeling of nothing to do, because uh, if we have this a pleasant feeling in our meditation it's much easier to be present to be in the moment Um, and have this feeling especially with this mantra nothing to do of uh, space or um, ease relaxation a sense of freedom too and this feeling uh, can make it easy for us to stay with the present moment however it is whether it's uh, pleasant or unpleasant whether it's the way we, we like it or not we can just be here 
not judging, um, not finding fault with things, just nothing to do. Nothing to do with thinking, nothing to do with reacting to what we experience it. So uh, I'd like to, if there's any uh, questions now, if uh, Ignacio would like, or Sri Juth would like to uh, uh, mention those, that's good. Uh, thank you, Ajahn. Um, we have one question at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, where does the line go between self-compassion and selfishness? Thank you. Right. Where does the line go between self-compassion and selfishness? Um, now, that's a good question, really, uh, because um, selfish, I think we can see, basically, isn't it? We can see the effect it's having on our minds. Of course, this depends. Some people are not aware of what's going on in their mind. When we have um, self-compassion, there's a, a feeling of caring, of kindness, of softness, um, not only to ourselves, um, but to others. Um, because if we have that compassion for ourselves, that caring, that gentleness, then we'll have it for others as well. Then our speech and our actions will come from that state of mind. So we can see, you know, with self-compassion, that it's a, it's a very wholesome state of mind. It's a very positive state of mind. Um, and it's, it's a, mind, a state of mind that nourishes us. Whereas <laughs> we can feel, I can feel, big, big difference with selfishness. Um, we can be aware when we are selfish, we have this feeling of, of wanting to get things and we don't care about other people. Uh, we're not necessarily gentle with other people, not necessarily gentle with ourselves either, actually. Um, so it's a it's coming from a very different place, this sense of uh, self, uh, selfishness comes from a very different place, from a sense, it does have a strong sense of self too to it, doesn't it, really? Um, and uh, as I say, it's a... Um, it's a hard state of mind. It's not a gentle state of mind at all. And I think most people can distinguish uh, a state of selfishness, a mind state of selfishness from one of self-compassion. It's a very different place that it's coming from. And uh, as I say, when we have self-compassion, that's a gift to ourselves and to others, there's no doubt. And, you know, for all of us, we can... Um, focus on where, you know, our various mind states are coming from, whether it's self-compassion or selfishness. And when we fo focus on where it's coming from, what's motivating, it's very easy to see what's um, positive and what's negative, what's wholesome and what's unwholesome. But also, you know, we can see that it's not benefiting us it's not helping us <laughs> and it may be harming ourselves it may be harming others this selfishness certainly harms oneself um, because it's a state of you know wanting to get it uh, and ignoring others it's a hard state and we don't benefit from it either but also we can see the results the results are very easy to of our, our coming from these wholesome mind states the results 
are good for us usually and good for others. Whereas we can see the selfish and very easy to see that uh, it's no good for us. There's this sort of competitive, hard-edged sense to it, um, unpleasant a feeling that goes with it, um, a feeling of having to get, maybe competing with others to get. This is not pleasant and the results are not pleasant too. So I think very easy if we look at where it's coming from, the feeling of it, that we'll see that quite a big difference between self-compassion and selfishness. And very easy to see, I think, those very different states of mind. One coming from, um, from desire, we call it loba, and one coming from aloba, from, from not trying to get. We're trying to give. When we have self-compassion, we're giving, aren't we? It's a different uh, direction for our mind. We're giving to ourselves, we're giving to others. When we are selfish, we're trying to get. <laughs> and, we, and so that's very not so good for us, nor for other people as well, that sense of selfishness. So very unpleasant mind state that goes with that. So that's how I would distinguish it. And of course, it does rely on this, um, to a degree, a very uh, strong degree of self-awareness, being aware of what mind state's coming up with it. So thank you for that question. I think it's a very um, a topical question, you know, because people uh, often have this feeling that if we think about ourselves in a kind way or whatever, we have a focus on ourselves, this is, uh, in a sense, selfish and uh, ignoring others. We should be selfless and uh, forget about ourselves and focus on others. And, of course, that's, from a Buddhist perspective, that's not correct. And it obviously doesn't work because <laughs> we don't, we cannot, can we? we? Cannot give out, you know, compassion without having self-compassion. <laughs> That's uh, it's so obvious that we we need to have this quality in our minds before we can share it with others. So I hope that answered the question between uh, the line between uh, self-compassion and selfishness. There's a big, big gap in my mind anyway, between those two states, like chalk and cheese. So thank you very much for that uh, question. I hope that sort of answered your question to some degree. If it doesn't, please ask another question. Thank, thank you, you, Ajahn. Um, we do have one more question that popped up. Mm -hmm. um, does Ajahn think we can relate the quantum physics theory that mm -hmm. observation or what is being observed changes reality. Um, can that somehow be related to what we are doing? Yes, yes. I don't know a lot about quantum, quantum physics, unlike Ajahn Brahm, who was a theoretical physicist. But it's very, very obvious that um, the observer, in, you see it in our lives, actually, the observer the state of the observer actually changes the experience for the observer and also uh, can change the experience for others around them. So, for instance, you know, if in meditation we are developing, we're aiming to develop these very positive mind states, very positive emotions, you know, like um, metta, uh, kindness or loving kindness, friendliness, uh, and compassion, 
and joy with other people's success or good qualities and the sort of sense of equanimity or acceptance of others. And when we're developing these states of mind, this is how we'll see the world. This will be our experience of it. It will be a much kinder experience. If we've got meta in the mind, then we're friendly to ourselves, friendly to others. And the world is quite a different place. We're definitely, for our, from our perspective, we're changing the world. The world we're living in is quite a different place from somebody who, for instance, has got a lot of fear, anxiety, suspicion, um, all these negative qualities or anger um, and depression, the way they're viewing the world, wow, quite different from a person that's coming from this meta, this friendliness, this uh, kindness. Um, and in a very real sense too, if we have a, a very positive emotion, um, a genuine, it has to be genuine, positive emotion that we're experiencing, others will experience it too. Just as, you know, if we're really angry or upset, people can pick up, pick it up without being told. You know, they, well, they see you, for instance, they can, can see one's uh, face and they think, wow. <laughs> but they also there's, a, as they say, a vibe that goes with it. So we do all affect each other uh, to some degree or other or, and more and, and uh, sometimes positively or negatively. So very much the observer is changing the experience I think certainly from the observer's point of view, but it can also change the experience of the others that we encounter. And when that happens, it's very interesting actually, if there are, for instance, there's problems in our relationships. If we bring a mind of uh, metta, a heart of metta, of, of kindness, of, of gentleness, friendliness, it can change the atmosphere, it can change that relationship so that the other person can also change. We can't change other people, but certainly our mind states can affect them uh, in a very positive way or in a very negative way, you know. So, and the more self that's involved in the process, the more, the more difficult that uh, the way we affect others um, uh, can happen, you know, it will be, uh, won't be a positive, a positive uh, quality, like unlike uh, meta and all these things, you know, they have got a very, very positive feeling for the observer and for for those that one's interacting with. So we do we do influence the world we live in, but very much, isn't it? The world we experience is very much a projection from our minds. There is a world, a real world out there. There's no doubt. There is a real world out there. But by and large, the way we experience that world is a projection coming from our minds, you know, and it has to be a genuine uh, project, a genuine feeling that we're projecting. Um, but uh, it's, it is very much the way. That's why we uh, uh, develop the mind, because this is, this is where we are creating our world, actually you know, what we're making of what we're seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching. By developing the mind, we are letting go of the negative qualities and developing the positive qualities in the mind. And this this is um, enables the mind to become more and more uh, still, more and more mindful, more and more still, and from that to develop wisdom. So 
we very much we are you know um, uh, the observer is affecting their own reality but also perhaps uh, can can affect the reality that's out there the reality of other people and you know that you know you meet people who are incredibly kind <laughs> and it just you know you just feel relaxed and you feel accepted and you know it's a warm feeling and so you it's it's very obvious from our experience that we do affect each other and where is that coming from the mind states that we've developed the emotional states we've developed the qualities we've developed so i think this is a you know it i don't know how much that relates to quantum physics <laughs> but it certain certainly relates to experience i think my experience and i'm sure uh, the person who asked the question their experience too that uh, we all have very very different takes on the same as it were the same reality but for each of us that take is going to be depend on the mind states we've developed and at a time like COVID-19, you can see many people have developed some quite negative mind states, you know, um, unwittingly, of course, you know, from isolating a lot, um, uh, you know, can give rise to anxiety, fear, um, you know, suspicion, all these sort of uh, negative mind states that are very unpleasant, to say the least. But... Uh, when, with the, a spiritual path, we're deliberately developing positive mind states. And it's not like we're just putting on um, makeup, as it were. It's not superficial. It has to be from the heart. It has to be genuine. It has to be from, from, the, from within us, you know, for it to be really something that has uh, an effect for us and possibly for other people. So thank you for that question. And uh, I think it's, um, you know, as I say, I don't know much about uh, quantum physics, but I hope that, that sort of went some way towards uh, a response to it anyway. So thank you for that. Thank you, Ajahn. Um, we do have one final question that popped in, if that's all right. Yeah, all right, that's fine. Last week, I struggled with pain arising during meditation. Mm -hmm. It came up again this time, and I managed to hold on to the pain for a little longer than last week. Mm -hmm. um, but I noticed that worry came up, that it might affect my knee. Uh, what is the best way to manage this? Thank you for a peaceful meditation. Yes, yes. Uh, when pain arises, you know, in our, um, uh, in our bodies uh, during our meditations, at any time really, but particularly during meditations, um, one of the things that can be very effective, and I've, I've found it very useful, it's good for um, also for uh, emotions too, you know, like fear, anxiety and so on, when we can locate them physically, um, as with a pain, a physical pain, and we can breathe into that pain with a kind and caring and soothing mind state. Um, and that can have, we can, well, for the emotions particularly, like anxiety and fear and um, those sorts of emotions, it can really relax that area where, the, where that emotion is experienced and then the, uh, those emotions can reduce dramatically, actually. And the same with uh, physical pain, because 
a lot of this physical, a lot of physical pain is really the tension from holding it back and also the mental tension of thinking, oh my goodness, this is dreadful, isn't it? <laughs> it's really, it's probably going to get out of hand and, you know, and that sort of thinking that really um, makes for a, a holding or a tension around that area and therefore, therefore making it um, more painful. So I know many meditators find when they bring this um, soft mind, this friendly mind, this kind mind to uh, a painful area, it can relax dramatically. However, um, this is not a, a pain meditation, or as Arjun Brahm said, it's not pain meditation. It's a, a play on words of anapana meditation, the breath meditation, but it's not about pain. So if, if it continues, then we, we can um, change our posture um, to uh, make ourselves more comfortable. And that's, a, that's kindness too, if we find it's continuing. For some people, some meditators, um, you know, investigating the pain will be of interest too. But if it's too much, then of course to change, uh, change as mindfully as we can and continue the meditation. But this kindness, uh, uh, breathing it in, or as I used to say, breathing through it, the pain, can be very useful with kindness, um, the gentleness, soothing. Uh, that can have quite a good effect, actually. So uh, if you'd like to try that, just see how it goes. But pain is, a, is, is definitely a part of having a human body and of course, the people that are really challenged are those that have uh, chronic pain. And that's really difficult. And that is a practice in itself because it won't go away if we change posture. It sort of be there. And um, so that's very, very difficult. We can teach us, we can learn a lot from it, but uh, it's not a very pleasant um, teaching, to say the least. So thank you for that question. And I hope that was. Uh, uh, will be, I hope it's helpful for you and worth a try, this breathing with kindness um, and gentleness, with friendliness through the pain. It will relax the mind and it can relax the area around the painful, um, I think it's in your knee, it's a painful area. So try that out and see if it helps with you. All right, thank you very much for that question. And I think that's the last question for this evening. And I'd like to thank Ignacio and uh, Sridjuth for using the technical side of this evening, making it possible for us to have the Monday night guided meditation. And for those who would like to, we can finish off by paying respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha. We just do this little chant. Here we are. 